2: their essential love of justice hi welcome to the kudzu vine for december 10th 2017 i'm your host david mclaughlin joining me as always welcome catherine smith
3: greetings from atlanta
2: and welcome tim shiflett
0: good evening sir
2: all right big show tonight uh a first-time guest from a first-time state. Uh, we've never had anyone from Nevada. And Steve Sibelius, who covers politics for many publications uh, and TV stations, hosts a show now in Nevada, is going to con- join us and tell us all about politics in that state, which is rapidly turning to be a purple state. Um, particularly in presidential years, it's a little more blue and non, it's a little more red. Um, So we'll get the lay of the land why it seems to be vacillating these days. But until then, we had a big election Tuesday, and we have nationally a much bigger election Tuesday, and there's some more stuff to discuss. But let's look backward first before we move forward. And uh, Catherine's home city, um, her current city, Atlanta, had their mayoral election, the runoff, and it was razor thin and it actually, um, there may be a recount, but um, we have Mayor Bottom, or Mayor-elect Bottom, she defeated Mary Norwood by a very thin margin. Catherine, being you got to vote in that race, I'll let you have the first word.
3: Well, it was a late night. Um, it was really interesting. I, I um, Just a little personal anecdote. I got to the polls, and a good friend of mine was there. Uh, at the same time, she walked up to me, and we walked in together, very close friend, uh, and we uh, realized at, after we voted that we had canceled each other out <laughs> on the mayor mayor's race. So, you know, I had been very torn about what to do, so I felt kind of good about it. I was like, okay, we canceled each other out, so we really didn't either of us cast a vote, so whatever that means. But, you know, it was a late night, and it started out, it looked like uh, Mary Norwood had the edge, and then a bunch of votes came in and uh, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms ahead and she stayed ahead the rest of the evening and, and uh, won. and yes, there uh, Mary Norwood has said that she may call for a recount. The recount can't be, um, you can't file for a recount until the final count is announced, which I think is expected tomorrow um, after they count all the provisional and um, mail-in ballots from, especially military ballots. So, We'll see what happens. I mean, with these electronic voting machines, there's very little – typically there should be very little change with a recount. The only um, exception to that is if the uh, paper ballots, the handful of paper ballots like absentee and um, provisional ballots, if they're – because they're counted by machine, and if any of them are uh, spit out because they are unreadable – Then those are the ones that will be examined for any differences, but it's unlikely that it will change the results.
2: Yes, and Catherine, I might ask you who you voted for, but that would reveal your friend's vote, and and that wouldn't seem fair.
3: Yeah, Um,
2: we won't do that. Well, um, Tim, Catherine's right. The election really kind of uh, transformed overnight. I look. And I didn't follow this race. Like some races, you just really want to follow the returns all night. It was one of those that I could wake up the next day and find out the result. But I did check before I went to bed, um, knowing that they weren't going to count votes real quickly if the first uh, round was any indication. Mary Norwood had about 57%, and Alex won in the city uh, council president's race had 64 at that point. Um, So both of them had big leads, and the races flipped on both of them. Uh, Any idea why that happened?
0: No, I guess uh, if you look at a map of how the vote went down, with a couple of minor exceptions, just about everything uh, in the northern part of the city went to Mary Norwood, and everything uh, in the south went to Bottoms. So I got to figure that the uh, Norwood vote just came in earlier, was counted earlier. I, I guess yeah. that happens sometimes. Um, you, you know, just a week ago, guys, I, w- I was thinking that, that that Norwood maybe had it won. The, the The wind seemed to be at her back, and I, I thought the endorsement by Shirley Franklin would put her over the top, especially with African American voters but, but, as it turned out I, I i don't think it was as much about what african Americans did as it was about party i I think the charges that Norwood is a republican is maybe what really at the end cost her this election um I'll stop there because I know you got something to say, David. But I got some some more stuff to say along those lines.
2: Yeah, I I think you're right that obviously, really, when you lose a race by less than a percent or so, everything counts. And and so there, I mean, if Mary Norwood would have learned from the last time and not left such huge openings like pictures with handle, and not willing to denounce. Uh, Donald Trump I mean if this would have been George you know, W. Bush In 2002 And she didn't want to de- denounce him There could be some political calculus But Donald Trump's not popular A lot of places Much less in the city of Atlanta She just really misplayed this thing But I do want to ask a thing about party And, and get, get y'all's opinion The Democratic Party of Georgia Got heavily involved in this race Yet in a very democratic city The Democratic Party of Georgia-endorsed candidate that they campaigned behind won a nail-biter. I mean, this city by no means is 50-50. I'm sure Catherine didn't go with a rock-ribbed Republican um, that she was talking with. That sounds like a lot of Democrats or Democratic-leaning voters still felt comfortable voting for Mary Norwood for this race to be so close. So how effective— Catherine I'll let you answer this first How effective um, was this Campaign strategy by the Democratic Party of Georgia since it's it's Not like they just got Every Democratic voter or most Or an overwhelming majority of Democratic Voters to support Keisha Lance Bottoms because of these attacks
3: Well you know I think that um, The people who are um, Sort of inside Not inside baseball but who are examining the race, um, more closely like me and my friend, um, may, may, have had more information or, um, not more information, but more interest in examining some of these things. Whereas there's a lot of people, I, I mean, I'm usually one of them who always vote votes for, a, for the party, whether it's, um, even if it's in a non, um, a nonpartisan race, it's still she's still a Democrat. I mean there's uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, even though it's a nonpartisan race, and this is the argument that the state party made and when they were criticized about this, it's a nonpartisan race, but it's their job to help elect Democrats. And and she wa- Keisha Lance Bottoms was is a Democrat. So I think there's, but I do think there's a lot of people who just always vote for the for what they think of as their the the party vote. So they always vote for the Democrat, they always vote for the Republican, or or do not vote for the Democrat, or do not vote for the Republican. You know what I mean? Like in in a nonpartisan race, you know, Mary claims to be a independent, um, though from the way she talks, she, she sounds like a Republican to many people. So, yeah, and Atlanta, a in Atlanta,
2: city you could be a
1: yeah.
2: Go ahead. You could be a moderate Democrat uh, in Atlanta and still be to maybe the right of most of the voters or a good many voters. Well, um, another Tim talking about Democratic leaning voters that it didn't persuade, and you alluded to one. You may have alluded to both of them. I served on the executive committee for about eight years. And most of the time, if not all the time, I served. I served on the Democratic uh, Party of Georgia's executive committee with Shirley Franklin and Kathy Willard. Both of them endorsed Mary Norwood, even though they had been members of the executive committee. That's a body of about twenty, twenty-five, some odd people that run the Democratic Party in the state of Georgia at the highest level. They were on this, and and they weren't persuaded. Um, what do you think of? How the Democratic Party of Georgia got involved And was it truly effective With such a close
0: win? I think it was Effective in that It probably Persuaded Some wavering Undecided voters at the end And I'm going to say there's I don't know 6-7% We're talking about here To finally Say you know what if Norwood's a Republican I can't vote for her That made my decision for me um, and, and as for Shirley Franklin And Willard and some others Perhaps this had something to do With Mayor Reed mm-hmm. um, I, I, I would suspect That it did and, and as to where Mary Norwood Might be a Republican let, let, let me Let me tell you this She addressed a group of young Republicans here a while back, and she told them that she lost to Mayor Reed in '09 because of voter fraud. Now, now, what does that sound like to everybody? Well, I mean, that <laughs> sounds like something a, a, a Republican would say to me. Um, it, it's a funny thing. She lost. To read, by 713 votes, she lost the other night by 759 votes. On the original vote in 2009, she lost by 714 votes. They did a recount. She picked up one vote. Uh, Catherine's right. recount ain't going to do anything. They'll trigger it. Uh, she, she has to ask for it within 48 hours of, of tomorrow when they certify the results at the Fulton County uh um, headquarters down there, um, and then and then they'll have it. It'll take them about three hours to do it. By the time this week's over, this will be done. Uh, but essentially, bottom, Bottoms is the mayor, uh, and and that's that. But I, I really still think that that you know the affiliation of the party uh that these two candidates were hung around their necks uh one is a democrat one is a republican it's what finally made the difference in this race yeah well let,
2: let's move to one of the races since we're kind of in this um Atlanta area and that's the city council race now The returns seem to mirror each other in a lot of different areas, yet Alex Juan didn't seem to, at least on the surface, have the same baggage that Mary Norwood did. Um, So if he didn't have that baggage, either he had different baggage and lost, or Felicia Moore was just a much better candidate than Keisha Lance Bottoms. Catherine, you're down there. I guess you voted in that race, too. Of course, you don't have to say how you voted if you don't want to. Why did that race... End up mirroring the top race
3: well, I don't know that it really did. I think both of those candidates were really strong um, i I did vote for Alex Juan, but I have no problem with Felicia Moore. I think she's um, a, a, she's been a good uh, city council member. I think she'll do a fine job. She is um, i think part of the reason she won. Uh, is that there were There are some negatives around Alex Juan um, He tried to shut down some um, Some of the adult Clubs over on Cheshire um, uh, Bridge and I think there were There's a group of people that were unhappy About that and um, I think that Felicia Moore Also had better name ID she's been on the City council for a long time And I think she's trusted And not, not that Alex isn't. I mean, I think either of them would have, would do a fine job, and um, I'm perfectly happy with Felicia as our city council president. I don't think it had much to do with the mayor's race. I think those were they were pretty separate um, as far as the voters. I think that's the thing about these um, nonpartisan elections. I think it's hard to, you know, you don't really have a slate um, like you do in some other races so i mean i think we're in good stead for city council president with felicia moore we would have been good with alex one as well yes unless
2: you're frequenting the skin clubs on cheshire bridge and then that sounds like a, <laughs> a kind of interesting issue to, to, to get involved um you know you would think the business owners maybe some of the workers uh would have a vested interest but you would think that would be a a hard constituency put together, but um, interesting. Tim, did you have any thoughts on this uh, city council race?
0: Well, see, uh, until Catherine just talked, I thought maybe that they were all connected uh, somehow because it seemed that both races were kind of breaking the same way with two candidates out way ahead early. And then those two candidates lose into two other candidates in pretty much the same way later on, uh, but but Catherine explains that those races didn't seem to have anything to do with each other. And what is that? I hear knocking.
2: <laughs> that was sorry uh, texting to get Catherine back
0: in. Um,
2: oh, sorry about okay.
0: that. That's- Play the that, that's, Sorry, that's, Jim. That, that's, that's quite all right. But um, but but Catherine did explain that those races really were not connected. I had even thought that perhaps uh, Felicia might have been campaigning uh, with Bottoms or, or something no. like that. But no, but no, 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 no. None no. of that. None of that at all no. happened. Uh, no. Okay, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I don't know how to say what to say uh, uh, about that, David. If they did some exit polling, which I don't know if they did that or not, they might could break this down better so that people would say what was on their minds concerning both of those races. Um,
2: yeah, and. Tim, you bring a great point about exit polling, which uh, but I, I want to find out something from Catherine if we got time. We need to get into that before our guest comes on. Uh, Catherine, you said no that they didn't campaign together. I got the sense there's some details that I'm missing, and possibly Tim. Um, is there a reason they wouldn't have campaigned together?
3: Yeah. Well, Felicia Moore uh, is not uh, a, a part of the Kasim Reed coalition. Oh, okay. So to speak. Okay. Got it. Um, but before we get off this, I just have to say one thing that um, I'm so excited about the win for Nikema Williams on Tuesday. Yes,
0: sir. It was very
3: tight, very unexpectedly tight um, all evening, but she did prevail, and um, all her the people who have known her forever are so excited and so happy that she'll be representing District 39 in the state senate. It's very exciting. I think that. We have a really good representative in Nakima, and she um, is she is also very excited to be um, taking this on this new world of course. She's been in Alabama since then, working on the Doug Jones <laughs> campaign. So, um, but she's gonna be a great state senator, and we're all very all my all my friends and colleagues are very excited for her.
2: Well, hopefully
3: she'll go two for two, and Catherine, it, as
2: you've been telling us that through texting all the week, if I didn't sound um, excited enough, I just thought when I looked at the list of candidates, she was clear in a way the best candidate, so I just didn't even think she'd have any trouble, I thought there's a chance she'd win without a runoff because she was so qualified, maybe I need to learn more about the other candidates, but um, she just seemed like that if people do their profiles that she wouldn't have had any trouble.
3: So, um, yeah, I think we all thought news. that. We were I think yeah, we were all friend. surprised by the the um strength of um Linda Pritchard, but you know, ultimately uh Nikema prevailed. So that's great.
2: Yes. Well, a friend of the pod, Nikema Williams, now state senator Nikema Williams. And of course, we always uh sometimes would need a legislator to come on the show at times, so it'd be good to have just another person that we can come to. But we're not talking about Georgia anymore. We're going to switch and go far out west into what I learned this week is the Pacific time zone out to Nevada and bring in our guest, Steve Sebelius. Um Steve, welcome to the Kudzu Vine.
1: Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Yes. Um, w- when I hooked up with you on LinkedIn, and that's how I, uh, you and I got connected, it looks like you've worked for pretty much every political source uh, there in Las Vegas and Nevada, uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, I uh, started out uh, working in a weekly paper in my hometown of Huntington Beach, California. And uh, I worked in uh, Pomona, Sacramento, Las Vegas, uh, San Bernardino, And uh, most of that time uh, in Las Vegas, I've worked for uh, the Las Vegas Sun, uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal, and KLAS Channel 8, which is uh, the CBS affiliate out here. And uh, for a short time, I was editor of the uh, alt-weekly that uh, used to be here in town called City Life. So you're right. I've uh, found it's hard to keep a job, I guess.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, it just means that you're wanted in our book Um, So you've been covering all that. If it's anything else, like maybe your schooling or campaigns you might have worked on before, anything else politically pertinent uh, besides all of your vast media experience?
1: Yeah, you know, to to be honest with you, my uh my uh, experience uh, with covering politics is strictly on the journalism side. Uh, I've never worked for a campaign. Although several people uh, here in Las Vegas have asked me to do that, I've never actually taken the leap and uh and done anything like that. So all of my study of politics has been uh, on the uh on the journalism side rather than on the uh practitioner side.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, let's get into Nevada politics um, and go before there I'm going to ask you kind of a general question before I turn it over to my two co-hosts, uh, Tim and Catherine uh, The state of Nevada, it seems to be kind of a purplish state In presidential years, it's more likely to be blue In non-presidential years, it's more likely to be red, seemingly, in recent years um, Tell us kind of why it seems to be, um, not schizophrenic, but, but but has this clear trend or red to blue, depending on the year
1: yeah no i think you're I think you're right about that. Um, uh, the state voted for uh, Hillary Clinton in the last uh, election, voted for Barack Obama twice in fact, the state of Nevada I think has voted for every the winner of every presidential election except for one uh going back uh, several decades um, i and I think one of the one of the reasons uh, has to be if you see uh the um, uh, re-elections of Harry Reid, our former senior senator and the former majority and minority leader of the Senate, uh, when he was on the ballot, the Democratic machine uh, turned perfectly, uh, and that is in no small part due to the fact that it was a wholly owned subsidiary of Harry Reid, and uh, he made sure it had the resources to uh, to run. Uh, when Barack Obama was running for president, he lent uh, the president uh, his uh, his machine, and it turned out perfectly for him. but in the in those interim years, when there is no presidential candidate on the ballot, it tends to uh, turn a little bit more red. Uh, and I think it has something to do with the fact that the uh, Democrats in the state uh, turn out for their president. Uh, but uh, not so much for uh, other candidates who are at the top of the ballot. And uh, the state still has an advantage of, I think, about um, uh, 60,000, 70,000 more Democrats and Republicans, but it's all about the turnout.
2: Yes. Well, just one more question, a general question for our listeners. Um, I think everybody's familiar with the largest city in the state, Las Vegas, but then there's some smaller municipalities. But there's a lot of land area in Nevada, and it doesn't seem to be uh, people spread evenly throughout it. Just kind of give a geographic layout of kind of where the vote is in your
0: state.
1: Absolutely, yeah. The the vast majority of the population, as you said, 70 72 percent roughly, of the people live down here in Clark County, which encompasses uh... the actual city of las vegas but which generally is known as las vegas a lot of people don't know the strip is actually in clark county it's not within the city limits of the city of las vegas but it's considered to be las vegas nonetheless um, the other big city in in uh... nevada is reno and that's up in washoe county uh... that county is almost evenly divided between democrats and republicans and it's a key county uh, for victory for any Democrat who's running in a statewide race. Uh, Harry Reid uh, figured out a way to win. Reno, uh, other candidates have been successful have, have gotten good turnout in Reno, or at least tried to keep the Republican turnout as low as possible in Reno. Now, the rest of the state outside Reno and, and uh, Clark County is uh, a deep, Deep, deep red Republican territory. These are the rural counties, cities like Elko, Ely, uh, places like Pahrump, uh in uh, in Nye County, uh, other other places where y- you're absolutely correct. There are there are not that many people. There's probably more cows and wild horses than there are people in those places. Uh, but uh, but they are very very red. I mean, I'm talking about presidential candidates on the Republican side of 180 percent of the vote in those counties. And so those counties are almost exclusively off-limits to Democrats. They campaign there, but really only to make beauty passes. There's really no hope of really turning up big Democratic turnout in those areas. The key to Nevada is Clark County, big, and Washoe County as much as you can get.
2: All right. Well, we know you have a lot of races in 2018. I've kind of set this thing up for Tim and Catherine
0: to ask about those. Tim, your question's for Steve. Steve? Um, Good evening, sir, and thank you for being with us tonight. Um, We keep hearing all about Dean Heller, that he is target number one for the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. Exactly how much trouble is Senator Heller in in Nevada? And, And if he is, why is that?
1: Uh, he is in a bit of trouble, and, uh, and I will tell you why. Uh, partly it has to do with the fact that in, in 2012, when he was first elected, uh, he was elected by the smallest margin of any person running for U.S. Senate in that entire year. So he entered mm-hmm. this race. He was an appointed incumbent before that. So he enters his six-year term considered to be very vulnerable. Uh, second, Dean Heller himself has, has handed the Democrats issue after issue, uh, in, in which he has seemingly reversed his own positions and taken different positions on issues. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, uh, he was asked at a, uh, at a meeting of uh, a chamber of commerce up in Reno about Planned Parenthood, and he said immediately, I, look, I will support funding for Planned Parenthood, I have no problem for funding for Planned Parenthood, and I will protect that funding. Almost immediately, I mean within the same day, his staff was telling the press, no, he didn't mean that, he doesn't support funding for Planned Parenthood, (laughs) and Dean Heller later came out and said, I don't support, uh, I have no problem with Planned Parenthood, but I don't support funds for groups that provide abortions. Well, as we all know, Planned Parenthood does provide abortions. So he, in fact, does have a problem with Planned Parenthood. So that, uh, you know, gave him a little bit of a a scare there. The other thing was health care. Uh, President Trump himself, at a luncheon, had Dean Heller sit right next to him and put him on the spot, uh, saying, "Look, uh, we wanted you to vote for health care." Well, Dean Heller voted against the initial Republican efforts to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act uh, because he allied himself with Governor Brian Sandoval, and our governor is a rather moderate Republican. Expanded Medicaid under that program, and and uh, and stood by that expansion. Uh, Dean Heller stood literally shoulder to shoulder with him at a news conference and said, "I'm not going to vote for any." Bill that takes away health care from people, he ended up voting for the skinny repeal, which of course takes health care away from people. So, uh, so Democrats look at these kind of things and say, "Look, the guy is vulnerable. The guy is vulnerable because uh, his uh, his uh, public statements go all over the map." And uh, and so I think that's 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 another part of the reason. Uh, that they do it. Plus, they have a really good candidate on the other side, the Democrat, and Jackie Rosen. She's been a, a Congresswoman for about a year now. Was elected just in 2016. She has virtually no record to speak of, and it's going to be very difficult to attack her uh, uh, when she has no record to attack. So they 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 feel really good about their chances there.
0: All right. Um, and until recently, I, I, I did not realize I'd even be
1: asking uh, uh,
0: about this. Uh, Congressman, but um, a lot of allegations have come out about Congressman um, Ruben Cahoo, and um, and he's digging in his heels and saying he's not going to resign. I, I, is he going to survive out
1: there? I don't believe he is. I don't believe he is. I think I think the only person in the in the country. Who believes he is going to survive is in fact Reuben Keewen himself, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, other than that, I think, and perhaps perhaps members of his immediate family but other than that, I think he is finished. Uh, these allegations uh, surfaced uh, very recently in, in the online site BuzzFeed. Uh, a young woman who was working for his campaign reported that he had repeatedly asked her for sex, had, had repeatedly uh, suggested, for example, mm-hmm. on one occasion that they get a hotel room together, put his hand on her thigh a couple of times without her consent, asked her, have you ever cheated on your boyfriend, really uh, 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 kind of scummy kind of things. Uh, to do to someone who is in your employ, uh, she reported this to a friend of hers at the DCCC. They later confronted Reuben a- about that after she had quit. He denied everything, and and it didn't really go anywhere from there. So uh, so these allegations come out, and he sees everybody else having to resign. Uh, he decided it would be a good idea to allege that uh, the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Knew about these allegations, investigated them, and did nothing uh, about them because they found no merit to them. All of those things are are untrue. We have been able, unable to establish that any anybody in the leadership of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee knew about these things. There was no investigation, and there certainly was no exoneration. Uh, but by doing that, he has drawn Nancy Pelosi and the chairman of the DCCC, Ben Ray Lujan, into his uh, sordid mess. And I'm sure they do not appreciate that. So I suspect that uh, Reuben Kewen is going to find, if he tries to stay on, that his money is going to dry up. His his logistical support will be gone and he is going to uh, be strongly encouraged by people in D.C. to seek life elsewhere I don't think there's yeah. any way he can he can survive, I think he will probably eventually have to resign, but at this point, as you said, he is certainly digging in his heels
0: and and for, for our listeners from outside of your area uh, are we talking about a Democratic district or a district that the Republicans could take a look at
1: uh, it, it is it is in fact both uh, Republicans have held that seat, and Democrats have held that seat it 's a much more closely uh, divided seat it 's got a, a democratic majority, about thirty thousand more Democrats last I checked than Republicans, so there is a democratic mm-hmm. majority uh, but uh, again you 've got to go with the get out the vote on election day turnout and and realize that the incumbent in that uh, seat the first year was a, a guy by the name of Stephen Horsford, a Democrat. He was defeated by a former assemblyman by the name of Crescent Hardy, uh, who was a Republican, uh, the, the next year after that. Then uh, Reuben Keewen came along and defeated Crescent Hardy. And now Crescent Hardy's talking about getting back into the race. There's a city councilman from Las Vegas <laughs> who's a Republican who's going to get in there. And, and And there are now Democrats who are making calls, probably as we speak right now tonight, uh, trying to line up support for when and if Reuben Kewin, uh resigns. Because in that event, then the party central committees will pick two candidates to run in a special election. The voters won't be involved until they get to uh, the actual election day. There's no primary in this state uh, for filling that seat. And there's a lot of Democrats who are interested in, uh, in that job once he is, uh, he is out of the way.
0: Oh, no doubt. And with that, I'm going to send it over to Catherine. Catherine?
3: Thank you so much. Let me just warn you, I've been having some trouble with my phone tonight, so if I drop out, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> um, thank you, at and um, I wanted to ask you, I think it was a perfect segue, thank you, Tim, about the um, party structure, the Democratic Party structure in Nevada, um, it sounds like they do a good job during in uh, presidential years, but maybe they fall a little bit short on uh, midterm elections. Is that, is that because they're not very well organized, or is it the Harry Reid um, the Harry Reid strength from previous elections? Or what what do you, what's your perception on that? Why is the turnout so poor during midterm elections?
1: Well, in part, uh, in those elections where Harry Reid has not been running, the party has suffered from sort of a benign neglect. Uh, That hasn't happened in recent days, but now remember, Harry Reid is retired, and while he is still involved in the party, he's still involved. Uh, the the fundraising and the resources are not there like they were in the past. And on top of that, you have uh, the, the same thing you see going on nationally, this rift between the progressive Bernie Sanders wing, if you will, of the Democratic Party on the one side, and then the more moderate Hillary Clinton pragmatic wing on the other side. That is very pronounced here in Nevada. There were there was a raucous county, uh, uh, I'm sorry, state party convention in 2016 where there was yelling and booing and all sorts of things, craziness that even defies normal standards of craziness in a political party uh, was was to be had at that meeting. And it was the division was along those lines, the progressives versus the moderates. That rift is still not healed, and so the Democrats are going to have to find a way to fix that by the uh, the 2018 cycle. And this thing with Reuben uh doesn't doesn't help at all because there are people who are saying he should stay. There's other people saying he should leave, and uh, and so that is just uh, adding uh, to that problem.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think we ha- we see that problem across the country. Unfortunately, we see it here yep. in York sometimes as well um and what what do you think the um I'm sorry I just lost my uh, train of thought. What what do you think the um for 2018 as we move in do you think we're going to see because of, you know, all the attention on politics more in the last year do you think we might see a little more interest in these in these midterm elections because of this the Trump effect and you know all these resignations and all this like discussion do you think that increases interest or is everybody just suffering from malaise from it all
1: uh... you know i i think there could be a, a slight chance of malaise but i would say if i had to predict right now as we sit here in december of twenty seventeen i would think that the trump effect would actually drive up interest drive up turnout Uh, Because now Democrats, you know, they've always been told, well, if we lose these elections, X, Y, and Z will happen. Prophecies of doom and gloom that haven't really come true until now. Now Democrats have a daily reminder Uh, if they follow the president's Twitter feed of what happens (laughs) if they don't turn out. (laughs) And so I think that's going to do it. And plus, in in, in specific to the state of Nevada, you have two really good races. First, you have the Jackie Rosen versus Dean Heller race that we talked about before. And I'm just assuming, by the way, it's going to be Dean Heller, because he is facing a Republican primary challenge from a guy named Danny Tarkanian, who has run many times before and lost general elections, but he's won three Republican primaries. He may win a So it may be Jackie Rosen versus Danny Tarkanian in the general election there. And then at the top of our ticket, we have uh, the governor's race, which is going, it's an open seat. Brian Sandoval is leaving office after eight years, and it's going to pit uh, uh, either Adam Laxalt or Dan Schwartz, probably Laxalt, versus uh, uh, two Democrats who are on the Clark County Commission down here in Las Vegas, Steve Sisolak and Chris June Kiliani. Uh, Chris June Kiliani represents the liberal Bernie Sanders wing. Uh, uh, Sisolak represents the uh, moderate wing, so they're going to have to fight that out in the primary. But that race is going to get a lot of attention. There will be a lot of outside money on it. And so I think there's going to be a lot of interest in coming to the polls, even though it's a a midterm election, the president's not on the ballot, but he is always looming large behind the ballot. And I think that's going to drive up turnout.
3: Well, I hope that's true, (laughs) because it sounds like (laughs) good turnout is good for Democrats in Nevada. (laughs) I'm
1: going to go ahead
2: and pass
3: it back to David. Thanks a lot. Sure. Yes, kind
2: of talking about the governor's race again. I'm not going to talk about the future, but the current governor, Brian Sandoval. He seems to be a much more popular Republican in his own state, your state of Nevada. But then also he's been mentioned as a vice presidential candidate. He seems to be the kind of candidate that would appeal to the non tea Party part of the party that – would actually appeal to swing voters. What makes him kind of a different kind of Republican in this environment in which so many Republicans have to go as far right as they can?
1: Yeah, and, you know, when he initially ran for office back in 2010, he was running against a guy by the name of Jim Gibbons, uh, who was uh, from Tea Party Central Casting. He was anti-tax, uh, very conservative Air Force veteran, and uh, and uh, he had a lot of problems. But uh, uh, Brian Sanimo, when he ran against uh, Jim Gibbons, he was talking about no new taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Well, circumstances prevailed upon him after he had defeated Jim Gibbons. By the way, the first time a, uh, a nominee has been defeated by his own party for renomination in the history of the state of Nevada. That was Jim Gibbons defeated by Brian Sandoval. Uh, Brian Sandoval then immediately turned around and did raise taxes because circumstances including a, a, a court ruling and the recession had just decimated the state budget. Uh, and I think he learned in, in, in that time and his subsequent time in office uh, that uh, uh, ideology has to give way uh, during when you're governing to what's the best thing to do for the the people of the state he told me in an interview not that long ago uh, published in a local magazine here that uh, that governing is different from campaigning and uh, and I think he learned that lesson whereas so many other uh, Republicans today uh, uh, go in and campaign as they governed under the uh, rubric of well I've got to keep my campaign promises uh, regardless of how that works out Brian Sandoval was not that Kind of a person, very pragmatic. He'd been a former federal judge uh, and, uh, and a lawyer, so so he was able to analyze that information like a judge and come up with a ruling that maybe didn't satisfy the partisans. And he's not popular among some of the very partisans, but he's hugely popular with the general public, Democrats, independents, and I think moderate Republicans alike here in Nevada. About sixty percent approval ratings last I've checked.
2: Yes, well. Um- See, this has been so informative on the state of Nevada. It's not a state that I think I know, maybe Catherine and Tim don't know as much about, but it seems to be a very important state in 2018. So if you've liked this, we'd love to call on you again in the future.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I'd love to do it.
2: Yes, but before we go, I know that you're, you've got a Twitter feed that's active. Uh, you've written for so many publications. You have your own show. Uh, tell our listeners, if they're outside of your state, how they might – uh, get more information, and read uh, more of your work.
1: Yeah, if they, uh, if they want to, they can follow me on Twitter. Uh, that's at Steve Sibelius and it is spelled, that last name is spelled S-E-B-E-L-I-U-S. Uh, they can also go uh, to our website. It's lasvegasnow.com. And uh, there's a tab called sections underneath that tab. You can look for the show. It's called politics. Now we post uh, full uh, episodes of the show, plus outtakes of our interviews there. So you can get a lot of information uh, that way and uh and uh, so those those are probably the two best ways to uh to follow what I'm doing here and uh, and learn what's uh what's happening but you're absolutely right it is an incredible uh, state to cover the news and it's an incredible state to cover political news and this state always seems to have a way not just cuz it's an early caucus state or everything else of uh, of uh, making its mark on national politics so we're definitely uh going to be uh, at the center of the action uh, come uh, 2018
2: Yes, sir. So th- so glad you could come on the show
0: tonight. Thanks Absolutely. Lot,
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, sir. Yes.
2: All right, again, Steve Sebelius, of so many uh, politics now, there has a Twitter feed written for so many of the publications uh, in the state. Uh, but, but you know, we can't, uh, you know, overemphasize that, that the state of Nevada is going to be huge In 2018, if only for that Senate seat, but then there's at least uh, maybe two more open congressional seats, um, and then governor's race, so a lot going on there. Well, let's kind of transfer back east to a state that we used to rank as a very um, not as exciting state to follow because it was so deep red and so partisan, that being the Yellowhammer state of Alabama. They're going to have maybe the most watched special election since the David Duke, Eddie Edwards, or Edwin Edwards special election back, you know, close to 30 years ago now. Um, Tim, what's your thoughts on the latest in the um, Roy Moore v. Doug Jones race?
0: Well, let's just start with the latest a uh, real clear politics average of polls Has more at 49.1 Jones at 45.3 um, Five of the last six Opinion polls have shown More with a lead um, and, and then getting into the race itself I mean, African-Americans make up 27% of the vote. They have to vote heavily, obviously, or Jones loses. Oh. Right now, that seems to be an iffy proposition. Um, and they're going to have to vote heavily. In in 2012, the last year they did exit polling in Alabama because it didn't do any last year, uh, President Obama got 15% of the white vote. Uh and I'm thinking no way will Doug Jones get over about a third of, of the white vote. If if he gets a third of the white vote Tuesday, he would probably win. Uh, for his part, uh, interestingly, uh, Moore is keeping a low profile. He has made, get this, less than 10 public appearances in the last month. You – um. Then turn around and look at Jones, and in the last 60 days, he's made 217 appearances. Um, Moore is trying to avoid the media. He does not wish to answer questions. He does have a rally schedule with Steve Bannon tomorrow, but that'll be tightly controlled. He's going to try to limp home. Uh, To me, that's a sign that his campaign thinks that he's leading there yeah, we are.
2: And based on the polls, uh, you know, that would be a decent supposition. The
0: movement mm-hmm. seems to be
2: in his way. Now, one thing I sent both of y'all is some that came on the show just a few weeks ago, Doug Kaplan, Gravis Marketing, he's been polling this race. And he mm-hmm. showed Jones having a lead a little later than some other people. Then he showed Moore having a lead, but he went ahead and let everybody in under the hood. And he said, look, I changed my voter model. I saw Republican turnout being higher, Democratic turnout being lower than I projected in the last poll. And so, Catherine, to me, that seems a whole lot of this thing is polls are informative for trends, but everything is in how you construct the voter model. What did you think of what uh, Doug sent out and I sent y'all?
3: Well, I think it's really interesting. You know, we've, we've all been um, – fooled by polls a lot in the last, you know, eighteen months I guess. So I think um we have to look at every single one and then it's really um generous for pollsters to let us in under the hood and see, you know, how they um interpreted some of these results. So I uh, you know, I'm uh I have my fingers crossed that um the better angels in Alabama will uh prevail on Tuesday and um we won't. We'll see uh you know, Doug Jones elected and uh Roy Moore shunned as he should be, but uh my cross fingers don't get voters out and don't uh, haven't made much of a difference in the last few elections, so I did have my fingers crossed on Tuesday and I was I was fortunate. So I don't know. I think, um, you know, again, it's going to be a late night on Tuesday, I'm sure. Yes. Well, Well. Um,
2: now since these polls have really been completely put in the field, we've had seemingly three pieces of information, in some ways two. Um, one, because um, two are tied so closely together, one, you know, Roy Moore uh, said that there was a time when race relations were better. Yes, we had slavery, oh but race... Were better, that might Just do a little to turn turn out African Americans, one would think um, Secondly um, It was uncovered that Roy Moore, kind of double Downing on that, back a few years ago Said really the Constitution would Be better if we only had the first Ten amendments, if you took Eleven <laughs> through
0: Twenty-whatever,
2: and just cut them all off Now let's not get into pro- no pro- Prohibition and repealing prohibition One of those is slavery one of those was striking down slavery by Abraham Lincoln, and so therefore he doubled down on the the old uh, uh, pro-slavery stance apparently. <laughs> and then the third <laughs> thing – and this might in some crazy way – I mean don't ask me why, but this actually may change more voters' minds, not motivate more voters, but senior senator and longtime senator in Alabama, Richard Shelby – went on one of the morning programs, this one, one of the political morning shows, forgot which one, and said he did not vote – he voted early and He did not vote for Roy Moore. He voted in a different Republican. He says he'd like the seat to stay in Republicans' hands, but not for Roy Moore. And people said, look, he didn't even go on those shows. He has to come on to that. Um, Tim, I've given you a whole bunch of material. I don't know
0: where you start <laughs> well, let's start with Shelby because I watched him, and uh, I think he had been feeling this way for quite a long time. Even though he hadn't went out on uh, CNN like he did this morning and articulated that, um, he 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 was careful enough to say, you know, that he he's a Republican and wants to see a Republican in the seat. He did not vote Democratic. He wrote in someone's name who is a well known Republican down there and he thinks highly of him and maybe something good will happen with a turnout vote. I, I think he's just saying things. There was no organized you know, write in for, for anyone in particular that I know of, but uh he, he did make it perfectly clear that Roy Moore did not get his vote and he didn't think it was a good idea for anyone to vote for him. So um, I don't know how many minds that will change at this point. I think voters are pretty, pretty hardened. Uh, we're talking right now, if the real clear politics averages are are right, um, barely 5% of the voters are um, – Undecided, 5.6 actually, and 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 of that 5.6%, those that they you talk to, the undecideds, about a quarter of those are leaning toward Moore with like 27% leaning toward Jones and then about half of them just totally undecided. And if Moore just picks up that little bit. It would be enough to get him get him over. Um, but th- this thing, I, I don't see how it can be more than a six or eight point race in either direction, which is frankly remarkable, and it shows how weak, uh, you know, Roy Moore is as a candidate uh, because he's had close races before. Because obviously, he's got other problems, doesn't he?
2: Yes, and we hadn't even amazingly we hadn't even gotten to the two uh, pro-slavery statements, Catherine. I'll (laughs) let you start out with the Shelby stuff, and then we'll come back around to that. Um, (laughs) Well, well, but but Catherine, wouldn't um, Richard Shelby telling an undecided, a very uh, reluctant Roy Moore leaning voter, "Hey, I'm not voting for him," wouldn't that be all they need to either a write in another candidate or b Just not show up.
3: Yeah, that's what I think Shelby – I I think that's Shelby's – the the impact that Shelby's comments will have is that people who were – I don't really like this guy, but I'm a Republican, they're going to just, you know, continue decorating their Christmas tree or going Christmas shopping instead of going to the polls. That's my – I don't think – I mean, I don't think that they're going to – I don't think the – person who was planning to vote for roy moore is going to go in and write someone else in because of shelby's comments but i think you know like tim said the percentage the small percentage of undecideds who lean republican are more likely to stay home thanks to um senator shelby's comments and you know you have to give him some credit because he's he's going to be on Trump's bad side now He's going to, you know, he's going again Even though up leading up in, to this the, You know, a lot of Republicans were You know, awfully gun shy about um, About Roy Moore But now they've all lobbed on And they're all like, oh yeah, we need a Republican But so congratulations to Senator Shelby For sticking to his guns about this I think that's something to be congratulated he should
2: have John second of that. You know, but but I mean he's he's, he's moving some some uh, movement to having some principles. And what's sad about this is among hardcore Republicans, um, if Roy Moore were to win on Wednesday morning, he may be the more popular of the two Republican senators among the hardcore base, uh, which is a scary thing to say after the man served yeah, uh, right. roughly three decades and the Senate. Now let's um, get to the last. Five Let's get into the pro-slavery comments. Now, some people are saying, "Well, we don't know how motivated African Americans will be to vote, to come out and vote." Tim, if this is not going to motivate African Americans to come out and vote, that this man wants to repeal the amendment or thinks the Constitution will be better without the amendments that um, outlawed slavery or said race relations were better during slavery, what in the world <laughs> could motivate voters?
0: Well, that that is just an iffy thing there. There is no doubt in my mind that, that African-American voters that are voting are not going to vote for Roy Moore. There, there's no doubt in my mind about that. The problem is how many of them are going to vote. Uh, especially some of the younger ones, Uh, are are they going to be motivated to vote? A lot of them get the feeling that Democrats only want to talk to them uh, and see them around election time, and then as soon as the election is over, they don't hear from them until the next election. And so they're they're wondering uh, if they are being taken for granted, and I think that is a legitimate complaint with them in a lot of cases. Um, so I do not know if, and, and another thing, even though Doug Jones is very, very, very well known in the Birmingham area because of, you know, the prosecution of those Klansmen and stuff like that, Well, a lot of other voters out in the state, especially across what they call the Black Belt, which runs from just south of Opelika, the state line, straight across through uh, Montgomery and and over to the western border of the state, just almost in a straight line, all all those counties, three or four counties in each uh, direction. That's where Democrats really have to make some hate. And uh, those voters don't know him that well down there now, I don't know whose fault that is, but uh they brought in some Democratic heavyweights like Cory Booker and some others uh to campaign you know, for him this weekend and try to uh, gen up that base of African Americans to get out and vote um, but but it's still an iffy proposition to be honest with you.
2: Yes, well, I guess with two minutes, uh, there's still some more issues come out of that. And if he's one of the issues will keep. And if he loses, we can uh, talk about how Alabama has more uh, statewide Democratic state officials. You're coming, We're uh, losing,
3: you, get into buddy. This. Yeah, we're losing Sorry.
2: you. Sorry. Let's go into the uh, Catherine's prediction on the strap.
3: On the Doug Jones race, on the yeah, yeah. yes um, yeah, I, I really I I can't say, and I I just I did want to comment one thing about the about what we were just talking about. I think you know there's a lot to be said for um, not voting for Roy Moore, but I think voters need more than don't vote for Roy Moore. They need a reason to vote for Doug Jones. I know what those reasons are. But I'm not sure that that message is getting out. And I, I, I mean, yep. I get it. You know, Roy Moore's is horrible. Anybody's better, would almost anybody would be better than him. But I think, you know, your average voter really wants to vote for someone. They don't want to just vote against someone. And I think that's something that we all need to be more, um, that everybody working in politics needs to be more conscious of. I think we just need to, we, we need more than, a no vote. We want to vote for someone. We want to be excited about a, about a candidate. And I think that's something that we could all be better about. But I'll say um, – I'm going to say Doug Jones by a very slim margin, like less than 2%. Tim? More by
0: six. All right.
2: David. I'm going to go ahead and double down on my prediction from Virginia – where I said plus four for um, Ralph Northrop, and I'm going to go Doug Jones plus two. Um, I think okay. that a lot of folks are going to follow the lead of Richard Shelby and stay home or, or in Luther Strange or the ghost of George Wallace, uh, or Bear Bryant. I don't know. And then I hope um, you're African-American right. turnout and Democratic uh, progressives' the turnout is going to be through the roof which we've been seeing in all kinds of races that aren't even controversial like this one, and that's what's going to happen. But we'll see on Tuesday. Good, Good night, everybody. everybody.
3: Good night, y'all. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and-